Hello everyone, I'm Sony Kasim, Director of Multimedia and Content Strategy at Becker's Healthcare. Thank you for tuning in to the Becker's Dental and DSO podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Fodi Penagakos, who is a member of the Santa Fe Group, an action-oriented think tank that focuses on improving lives through oral health. On today's episode, we'll chat about dental benefits and Medicare, trends in the dental industry, and how you can stay prepared. Dr. Penagakos, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about today. But before we dive in, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your background? Sure, happy to do so. So I'm currently the Associate Dean for Research at the West Virginia University School of Dentistry in Morgantown, West Virginia. I've been here a little over three years. Um, As you mentioned during the intro, I'm also a member of the Santa Fe Group, which uh, I've been involved with for over 10 years. Prior to coming to WVU, I was at Colgate-Palmolive Company for a little over 12 years working in the R&D division, primarily focused on scientific affairs and professional relations on behalf of the R&D division. And then following attending dental school at uh, New Jersey Dental School, which is now Rutgers School of Dental Medicine, I was on the faculty at that school in Newark, New Jersey for about 12 years. So started in education, went over into industry for a few years, and then came back to education where I am today. Wow, what an extensive career you've had. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey, and I learned quite a bit along the way, both, you know, obviously in education, but also um, with regards to the the corporate experience. I really enjoyed my time at Colgate, great company, great group of people I worked with, learned a lot from there, and also involved with organizations like the Santa Fe Group and other nonprofits in the oral health space picked up uh, quite a bit of experience there. So, uh, so yeah, so it's been an exciting journey, and now I'm excited to be here in West Virginia and, you know, back into academics and doing some research and teaching and uh, getting involved with uh, a number of different important areas in oral health here in the state. That's awesome. Very amazing. So before we dive deeper into the broader trends and uh, kind of pick your brain and your expertise on this, I'd love to first talk about your thoughts about the efforts to include a dental benefit in Medicare. So there's talk about how if that were to happen, solo dental practitioners would have to deal with a lot more complexities. So a couple of questions here for you. Sure. First, what's the reasoning behind this effort? And second, what are your thoughts about it? Well, Personally, my thoughts are I'm I'm in support of it. I mean, this is my own personal opinion, looking at all the information that's available. I did practice part-time in a private office when I was in in New Jersey, so I do have a little bit of experience of what a, a private practice has to go through when they're dealing with insurance and other benefit plans uh, and, and so forth. But for me, the real the real important issue here is getting care for those who are most vulnerable and have the least access. We've done a really nice job within the United States, at least for most states, that have some sort of a dental benefit within Medicaid. So for those adults who can't afford uh, or get insurance, they can get coverage through Medicaid. We just started a program here in West Virginia after many years not having only emergency care available where they're now getting $1,000 a year. And it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but for people who have had no access to care, it's been a huge a huge improvement, and we're seeing those patients come through the dental school since it's uh, been implemented. But for the older adult, for someone over 65 who, say, has worked their entire life, you know, has had dental insurance through their employer, now all of a sudden they're they're without insurance, and they don't have insurance for for dental, for their eyes, or for hearing. And 
to me, those are pretty important aspects of being a, a person that we should be taking care of going forward. Some of the research that's been conducted by third-party uh, providers looking at the benefit that oral health provides for overall health has demonstrated that by giving a dental benefit uh, to those who are most at risk, especially our older older population, can actually have very positive benefits on the part of other health conditions that they may be addressing. And when I think about it here in West Virginia, we have over 300,000 adults that are 65 or older that don't have any dental insurance. They don't have any benefit that they can use to go to dentist. So it's all out of pocket. And we do have Medicare Advantage plans, which some of them do provide a dental benefit, but often it's very minimal coverage. It may just be, you know, a checkup and a cleaning, but beyond that, they don't really provide much more. So here within West Virginia, where we have, I don't know, around 1.7 to 1.8 million people, you're talking about 300,000 of them, which is a sizable percent, don't have access. And by getting them this access, I think we could have a pronounced impact on their overall health, which we know West Virginia often doesn't do well in those national health rankings when you look at diabetes, heart disease, obesity. And so for me, here within a state that is struggling um, under this health burden that many uh, of our citizens have, this benefit makes a lot more sense. So it would go a long way in closing the gaps in access to health care for a lot of people. It will. And, and I can fully appreciate a private practitioner not wanting to participate because of the belief that by being involved in a dental program run by the federal government, there's going to be an undue amount of burden on the office as far as processing you know, the claims and, and so forth. And so that I can understand. Our, our medical colleagues seem to have navigated that pretty well, even though you do hear stories through individuals who talk to physicians who say it's, it's this or it's that. Uh, to me, if it was such a failure on the part of, of it being such an undue burden, we wouldn't have as many physicians participating in these programs. I mean, today, I think it would be uh, very challenging to be able to practice without being involved in, in these programs because of the, the number of people who are enrolled in, in the program. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to find some middle ground that everyone can support. I know the American Dental Association, you know, was supporting a, uh, a means test to actually give the benefit to those people who are in need the most. And while I can understand that approach, nothing else in Medicare is means tested. Yes, you do have to pay sometimes a higher premium based on your income, but in the end, you all get the same benefit. It's not like we're going to titrate it based on you know how much you have have in the in the bank. So I think there's still work to be done in this area. I'm hoping that they'll be able to resolve. It's so at least we can get something in the bill that's being negotiated right now. But again, if it doesn't, we'll just continue to uh, to explore this and hopefully down the road be able to uh, to get coverage for those in, in greatest need. Yeah, looking forward to see how that pans out. And going mm-hmm. along with that, how would dental practices need to be prepared if the dental benefits were included in Medicare? I think if you're a dentist who's already accepting Medicaid, there's probably not much more you need to do. And there are a fair number of dentists out there who are accepting Medicaid or, or CHIP for kids where there's you know paperwork involved and an administrative aspect to it. So I think for those offices, unless you're a pediatric office and you're really just focusing on kids, shouldn't be much of an, an undue burden. As I mentioned, there's all these physicians who accept Medicare 
And I think it's around 90% or so of physicians that do accept Medicare. So maybe we can learn something from them on how they've implemented and handled the administration of the uh, program going forward. It's very possible that if you're in a private office, a solo practitioner, the burden could be quite overwhelming to kind of participate, even if you wanted to participate. On the other hand, the large DSOs and other corporate uh, organizations that are out there that have 300, 400, 500 practices, they may be able to scale up very quickly and be able to take on that additional administrative responsibility for Medicare and be able to offer it. So we're in a much different place today than when Medicare first started in the 60s and dental was not included. At that point, it was pretty much solo practitioners was the norm. Whereas today we're seeing a shift where, you know, dentists as well as other healthcare providers are banding together and working more collaboratively in, in these different networks. And so to me, there might be an opportunity to utilize some of these new networks that are out there and, and actually implement this benefit and, and, you know, be able to handle the additional administration that may be required. And like all good things, there's always some hard work that goes on behind the scenes. But I think the benefits of, of including uh, dental care in, in Medicare is more important, I think, for, for the greater good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, and I don't think anyone who is against this benefit is doing it from a position of being cold and not wanting to provide care to older adults. Uh, I do not think that that's the motivation at all. I think each group is looking at this from their perspective. They're weighing the, the pros and cons for themselves and maybe their constituents, and they're netting out in a certain position. I think we can all agree that this it's important to get care for, for older adults, uh, especially the, the oral health component that isn't provided right now to those um, who are at risk. And uh, I'm hopeful that even though reading the tea leaves, you know, it's still not done, but it doesn't seem as possible as it was maybe um, a month or so ago because of other things that have happened with the Build Back Better bill and cutting back the total amount and so forth. So you have to start making certain compromises. I think it's raised the conversation nationally uh, regarding uh, oral health, um, and, and hopefully we can build on that momentum, regardless of what happens this time around going forward. Thank you for that. This is really informative. Now, switching gears a little bit and thinking more broadly about dental care in general, what are some of the top two or three trends that you're following today? Well, me personally, um, I'm following a number of different trends. Being in, in education, you know, a lot of the different trends we're seeing in the education space uh, right now is is of interest. We're seeing new dental schools uh, being started, um, and this is at a time where we may be reaching a point, and this is based on data out of the American Dental Association's Health Policy Institute, that we may be reaching a point where, as they project out about 20 years from now, we may actually have more dentists per patient ratio than we do today. And I guess this is like taking a national look. One of the challenges we've had is that we're graduating probably more than enough dental providers but they're not practicing where they're needed. For example, here in West Virginia, we're primarily a rural uh, state, and we have areas that are definitely underserved when it comes to oral health providers and, and dentists. So that's one trend I'm, I'm kind of following. I'm very interested in, in the way technology is being used in the delivery of care within dentistry, and then how do we train the next generation of oral health providers coming out of school to 
be comfortable and familiar with these technologies because they're going to be using them, you know, when they when they come out of school and it's our and it's our responsibility to make sure that they are prepared for this technology improvements that are that are happening. I mean, I remember when I was in dental school, you know, dental implants were were the thing that they were just coming into popularity and so, you know, we've come a long way since I finished school. It's exciting to see what's happening. But those are two sort of on the educational side and then I think overall, one of the trends that I like to keep tabs on is the integration of oral health into overall health and overall wellness. We're seeing a number of insurance companies that are taking a very active position in integrating uh, the two and, and not keeping dental sort of separate off to the side. And I think that's a good thing, considering uh, the management of, of patients today and the importance of making sure we do everything collaboratively to improve the health and wellness of our patients. This is a, a good trend. And it's going to take some time to see this further in integration. I think we've been maybe separate a little too long, and, and it's nice to see these trends happening. So those are just a few things that I'm keeping an eye on. Got it. So on the educational side, it's about you're focused on the underserved areas for oral health providers mm -hmm. and how do we train the emerging oral health care leaders with the wave of new technology and then just overall just how oral health plays into overall wellness and, and how things are changing on that yeah. front. So yeah. yeah, lots of new things up ahead to pay attention to. Yeah, there is. And it's very challenging to keep track of all of it. One of the areas of interest that I have personally is the role of oral health with overall wellness and specifically with Alzheimer's disease, which has been emerging the last few years as being a very strong association. It's probably not a, a cause and effect, but is periodontal disease and, and the bacteria that cause periodontal disease and some of the products that they, that they produce and get into the bloodstream seem to have an effect on the brain and the ability to maybe, you know, set up the environment for Alzheimer's to develop. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done in this area. We have uh, the Rockefeller Neurological Institute here at WVU, and we've had some conversations, this was pre-COVID, with them about possibly exploring this uh, area, and they were very interested, and then COVID hit, and as, as it had effects on everything, we kind of had to pull back on that, but we're hoping now that things seem to be improving that we'll be able to to look at that. So that's kind of a, a specific area of sort of oral health and overall wellness that I have a, a personal interest in. And I think, you know, if we can demonstrate there is some relationship there that will just even further enhance the importance of, of oral health and uh, and, and taking care of these problems to hopefully remove from the equation one of the possible influencers of that ultimate disease. It's, you know, just because we treat the periodontal disease doesn't mean the person isn't going to develop, say, diabetes or heart disease or, or Alzheimer's. But maybe if we remove that factor, other aspects taking into account for the patient may actually prevent that from happening. So, you know, exciting things to come for sure. Yeah, it's incredibly fascinating and, and truly illustrates the interplay between oral health and, and overall health. And then now that we're almost two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, mm. what lingering challenges do dental practices face and how can they overcome them? Yeah, well, I'm really proud the way our the American Dental Association and other, other professional organizations really stepped up and provided leadership and guidance to, to the practicing community 
regarding uh, COVID and, and our response. And we were, as you know, as a profession, we were very hard hit. Uh, a lot of practices shut down completely. Some were just open for emergency care. Here at the school, we, we shut down for a little over two months uh, regarding uh, any sort of elective care. We were just providing emergency care. And often we were the only clinic in the area where patients could come in if they had a dental emergency because a lot of the private offices were totally shut down. But I think we emerged from it. We're learning more about how the virus is transmitted via aerosols. I think we didn't know a lot early on and we were taking appropriately precautions that needed to be taken. And now that we've kind of understood it a little bit more in the spread, and there's been a, a bunch of studies that have been published recently talking about you know, how the aerosol uh, spread occurs. We're actually doing some research here at, uh, at the school with colleagues at NIOSH, the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, who have a facility um, right on campus with us looking at the spread of aerosols and particulates and how we can mitigate those with the different approaches that we have. So I think this is evolving and I think practices are, are going to continue to follow the guidelines and the rules that have been let out. And um, I think we'll just continue to adapt. At some point, there's probably going to be some broader discussions about what do we need to do going forward to prepare ourselves for the next pandemic, because there will be one down the road at some point. It may not be in in my lifetime or, or yours for that matter, but it will, it will happen. And I think we need to be prepared. The other part to all of this is sort of the economic, you know, impact that COVID has had on dental practices. And I think we're seeing the practices have bounced back. Uh, I mentioned the ADA's Health Policy Institute, and I really want to give a, a shout out and kudos to Dr. Marco Vujicic and his team who have been right at the beginning, out of the gate, you know, looking at the impact on on dental offices and using nationally administered surveys on a very regular basis and then updating the broader profession on what they're seeing and you know those were really critical for the profession to kind of see where we were where we are today and where we're going and so i think having those kinds of resources available are also really really helpful so i think we're still you know not out of the woods totally but we're getting there hopefully and and we're not going to have another variant crop up down the road like delta did which kind of set us back and things will will hopefully continue improving and i as a profession i think we responded again really well that's a up for hopefully the next time around that we'll be more prepared for a challenge such as this. Yeah, absolutely. And fingers crossed that we're, we're on to better things ahead of us. Finally, where do you see the Santa Fe Group growing and evolving in the next year? As an organization, we've been, as I said, I've been with them for, for over 10 years and I've seen such a growth in the activities and, and programs that we have within the organization. You know, we, we consider ourselves sort of a catalyst a convener, bringing parties together to address the challenging issues that are facing us within oral health and overall wellness. You know, this past year, we did a series of programs, webinars, where we talked about different important topics that are facing oral health and, and dentistry. We had a um, three-day program. It was virtual. Unfortunately, we weren't able to do it in person. That sort of was a capstone of that series. Separately, a couple of my colleagues who are in Santa Fe have been writing a series of papers that have been published around COVID and, and dentistry. And I would highly recommend folks go and get those. You can go visit our website 
website at santafe.org to get access to all that material. It's all up there for free and accessible to anyone who is interested. And we're looking forward to continuing that trend. So we have a, a, a session scheduled at the Greater New York Dental Meeting coming up later this month where we're going to have a, um, an overview on oral health and the older patient, uh, a series of, of speakers uh, talking about different aspects of, of the older adult and their oral health needs, including a little bit about the Medicare program and, and some updates there. And then we're hoping to continue those at other regional meetings in 2022. So the California Dental Association has offered us time in both their North and South meetings uh, next year. And then hopefully the year after that, we'll be able to add the Chicago uh, Midwinter meeting and maybe the Yankee Dental meeting to that schedule. And the purpose of it is really for the Santa Fe group to kind of go directly to the practicing community um, and to share with them the things that we're doing and to provide them information and updates on key issues that is, are facing us within dentistry. A lot of times within Santa Fe, we're talking to the, the folks that are the policy folks and the education folks and the folks in, in the dental insurance industry, you know, higher level folks. But we need to kind of break out of that and get further out into the profession because I think a lot of the work that we're doing is really important for folks to hear about and, and to learn about. So so I just see us continuing to evolve and develop. It's exciting to be part of this, uh, this group and, and I'm really proud of everything that we've done uh, so far and I'm really excited about what the future holds. Fantastic. Well, all the best to you and the Santa Fe group. And thank you so much, Dr. Penagakos, for sharing your insights and diving deep with all these topics today. Well, again, thanks for the invitation. It's really been a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com.